Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. Good morning, welcome to the Daily Football Briefing from The Athletic. It's Monday the 9th of October, I'm Tim Spears and today we're asking Do Arsenal believe they can win the title? I think in a way I'm fascinated to see how Arsenal kick on from this point of the season. Why do Manchester City keep losing? If Rodri does miss any period of game, that might be an issue for City uh, and their title bid. And who's become La Liga's youngest ever goalscorer? He's just 16 years old and incredibly he is one of the best assets I'd say that Barcelona has had at the start of this season. This is the Daily Football Briefing with Tim Spears. Arsenal beat Manchester City in the Premier League for the first time since 2015 as they delivered what could be a significant early blow in the title race. Gabriel Martinelli came off the bench to score an 86th minute winner as a poor game got a big finish. It's Havertz, it's Martinelli and by a deflection Arsenal are within touching distance of downing the side that they've sought for so long to topple. Right, let's get straight into it with our Arsenal correspondent, Amy Lawrence. How significant does this win feel, Amy? It did feel pretty significant. There was an energy from the second that I think Kai Havertz laid the ball off to Martinelli and he shaped a shoot. This was it. Uh, you get that moment sometimes. And while there have been quite a lot of talk uh, amongst the supporters, uh, a draw would be very creditable. I think nobody could understate the sort of psychological injection of adrenaline, belief. And actually, I think in a way, I'm fascinated to see how Arsenal kick on from this point of the season because I'm not sure they've played that well for quite a lot of the first chunk of the season. This was undoubtedly their best display against a team of such high calibre. Well, that's it. Momentum and belief was such a key part of what Arsenal did last year. And now, of course, they've beaten City twice, if you include the, the Community Shield. I remember Aaron Ramsdale saying after that game how, how big that felt as a psychological barrier. So now that they've sort of done it twice, that's good. that's potentially going to be something that they can draw on for the rest of the season? Yeah, but this is very different. The Community Shield was great and obviously does give them that some, something. When you think back not that long ago to the game at City, run-in of last season, which was so painful and Arsenal was so overwhelmed, that I, I think that it probably took a lot to pull themselves to that position of thinking, you know, we're not scared of these people because they were pretty scary last time in the league. And it just gives a very interesting perspective to a team that is still very much evolving. So is there anything tactically or with Arteta's substitutions that, in terms of how he was able to outfox Pep today that really stood out for you? Maybe having uh, Tommy Asu playing sort of inside left was a bit of a, a surprise, which... You see him popping up and playing such an active part in the goal. They both know each other very well, and I'm sure that not a lot gets past each of them. But being able to react as well, and I think when you saw Man City make the triple substitution and bring on players of high calibre, and then not that long afterwards, Arsenal did similar. And in some ways, the team they ended up with was arguably stronger than the team they started with. 
But obviously, when you're managing the load of different players, especially those coming back from injury, I think to be able to do this without Saka and with Martinelli for only a half was another thing that feels very significant for Arsenal's self-belief. But yeah, the fact that Martinelli was able to come on made a huge difference. Just having that dynamism and that that speed and that kind of direct ability to drive and be hungry all the time up top. Instead of having to build something, you know, it gives an out a different kind of outlet. So, but I think from a tactical point of view, the thing probably Mikel Arteta would be most pleased about is how for a team that concedes a lot of goals at home and, and concedes a lot of goals through individual errors, managed to, for the most part, apart from, you know, little moments here and there in the game when City put the pressure on for five minutes here or a few minutes there, to really look remarkably comfortable for most of the time. Yeah, the, the overall, I think the, the control that they were able to have and the confidence they had across the back was really, really helpful. And you can hear more from Amy and the Arsenal gang in the latest episode of the Athletics' dedicated Gunners podcast, Handbrake Off. OK, let's get the Manchester City perspective now. Pep Guardiola's team suffered back-to-back Premier League defeats for the first time in five years. If you throw in their Carabao Cup loss to Newcastle, it's three defeats in four. The Athletics' Sam Lee was at the Emirates and he joins us now. Sam, Rodri suspended for those three defeats. Coincidence? They miss Rodri a lot more than I thought they would do. I thought they'd find it easy to find solutions. That's probably the big takeaway from a City point of view, probably from any, you know, from either side's point of view. We know Arsenal are a good team. We didn't learn that today. The big thing, I suppose, is if City do lose Rodri for any period of time, then that's going to have a bigger say on the title race. Um, only four shots is the fewest that Pep's side has had since 2010. He seems like, you know, there's, he's not looking into the significance of, of three defeats in four, but are you? The main thread of that is is Rodri being out. So yeah, like I say, if Rodri does miss any period of games in future, then you start to think, okay, that, that might be an issue for City uh, and their title bid. The game at Newcastle, we don't need to look into big reasons for that. They made loads of changes at Newcastle. Carabao Cup game, very much secondary. Not worry too much about that. The Wolves game was a bigger worry. They played worse against Wolves than they did at Arsenal. Um, they didn't have any control of that. But I think going forward, Rodri back. Stone's coming back now. It's the first game he's played since the Community Shield. The last time City failed to win three games in a row was in April 2022 when they drew against Liverpool, Atletico Madrid and then lost to Liverpool. This is more alarming. They're not in as good form as they were then, but I don't expect it to last. You're listening to the Daily Football Briefing from The Athletic. Arsenal's win means their North London rival Spurs will be top of the Premier League table during the international break. Kulisevsky to Madison. Gives a defender the slip. Mickey van der Ven takes the opportunity to register his first goal for Tottenham Hotspur. Spurs edged past Luton Town on Saturday thanks to Mickey van der Ven's winner, although they had to play half the game with 10 men after Yves Bissouma was sent off. Here's Spurs guru Charlie Eccleshare on Ange Postacoglu's team hitting top spot. So eight games in, after a summer in which they sold Harry Kane and appointed a manager in Ange Postacoglu who's typically taken a little while to get his team's going results-wise anyway and so we were kind of managing expectations about a potentially slow start for Spurs here they are top of the league six wins two draws and you know this is not a club who is often top of the league despite being in the upper echelons very regularly they had spent the total going into uh, this weekend of 72 days at the top of the Premier League in its 30 plus years and Put that into context, that's fewer than Leeds, Aston Villa, Norwich. But yeah, here they are, and I think it feels like a kind of fitting 
end to this little quartet of games where they've won three, drawn one in pretty tricky games. You know, they had Arsenal away, they had Liverpool at home, and they, they secured top spot with pretty satisfying win in the end. It was a weird game because for the first half, they were so dominant, but couldn't score. They had three big chances, big in the kind of feels big and big in the Opta sense. Chances in the first 12 minutes. Didn't put any of them away, kept peppering the goal, and then they lost the man just before half time. And you did think, is it going to be one of those days, maybe? But they kept at it, got the goal early in the second half, and then dug in, showed a different side of them. So, yeah, probably the least pretty performance that they've put in all season, but they got the job done. And then were able to put their feet up, hope for a draw or Arsenal win by that scoreline, and they were going to be sitting top. So, yeah, they've got a couple of weeks now to revel in it. And, yeah, it just feels like a fitting reward for all the hard work that Postacoglu and the players have put in. Man United would love to be top, but they'll settle for 10th for now after what felt like a hugely important and dramatic comeback win over Brentford. Scott McTominay scored in the 93rd. Oh, spilled by Strakosha, still not clear! There is that late equaliser, and it's Scott McTominay who's got it! And 97th minutes... McTominay! Manchester United has rescued their bosses. How good does it get? To ease the growing pressure on Eric Ten Hag. Talking of goal-scoring midfielders, Jude Bellingham scored again. Bellingham shoots and scores. He's done it again. Just eight minutes up. And Jude Bellingham scores his ninth goal of the season. His seventh in the league. And again. Back to Bellingham. This could be two. Through the goalkeeper's legs. 2-0 to Real Madrid. Jude Bellingham's second goal of the game. As Real Madrid beat Osasuna 4-0, Bellingham has scored eight goals already to put him top of the La Liga goal-scoring charts. In fact, across Europe's top five leagues, only two players have scored more than Bellingham. Latora Martinez is one of them. Lautaro Martinez! He's made of different stuff! He's unstoppable at the moment. He scored his 10th for Inter Milan, but they blew a two-goal lead at home to Bologna, meaning City rivals AC Milan leapfrogged them into top spot. Moussa, the ball in, and then on the turn, Christian Pulisic, and he's found the breakthrough for Milan in the dying embers of the contest. Christian Pulisic scored a late winner for Milan, who were then indebted to Olivier Giroud, making a stoppage time save in goal after keeper Mike Mannion was sent off. But we'll end our European roundup back in Spain, where history was made last night. Xavi, Felix, it ran away from him. He has it back. Lamine has scored for Barcelona. A piece of history. Lamine Yamal is a name you're going to hear a lot in the future. He's 16 years old, he plays for Barcelona, and he's just become the youngest goalscorer in La Liga history. Left-footed forward Yamal has already played and scored for Spain and he made his fourth league start for Barcelona last night, helping them come from 2-0 down to earn a 2-2 draw against Granada. Paul Ballas was there for the Athletic and he joins us now. Paul, for the uninitiated, who is Barcelona's new wonder kid? So he is Lamin Yamal. He's just 16 years old and incredibly he is one of the best assets I'd say that Barcelona has had at the start of this season. He plays as a winger but he's not the pacey player that you would imagine. He's like a skillful, crafty guy. Um, that has been moulded through Barcelona youth ranks. When you spoke to every manager like in the youth rank of the club, they always highlighted Lamin Yamal. And now he's proving like everyone right, basically. There were fears in Barcelona that he was too young to play in first-team football, but he has proved to be like capable enough to make the difference already at Barcelona, as he proved by scoring the first goal in the 2-2 draw that Barcelona got at Granada. 
I'd imagine Barcelona keen to sort of manage expectations around this young man's future. Probably not helped by Spain boss Luis de la Fuente comparing Yamal to Messi and Maradona. It is a tricky situation. Actually, he's been compared to Messi in Barcelona, but not, of course, like in terms of like expectations, but especially uh, with the moment that Messi broke out. And Lionel Messi had a veteran winger in Ludovic Juli that was taking probably like a lot of the pressure, like starting in a lot of games, done rushing Messi into the starting lineups. And Barcelona were hoping to have the same case with Lamin Yamal and with the likes of Rafinha and Ferran Torres just to take a bit of the game load. But now the situation is tricky as well because Rafinha is injured, Lewandowski is injured as well and, and Ferran Torres has to be deployed as a center forward and basically Xavi needs Lamin Yamal. He has started the last two games and let's see how he developed because he, he has picked up a like a small injury in the game against Granada. It's not expected to be a big issue, but it's also like a hint that you have to be careful with a 16-year-old's body and that you cannot rush him into uh, men's football game time. Great. Cheers, Paul. There was also some record equaling from Barcelona's women's team yesterday with Alexi Putellas drawing level with Jenny Hermoso's record of 181 goals to become the club's joint top all-time goalscorer. Elsewhere yesterday, the big story in the WSL was Manchester City's Alex Greenwood being sent off for time-wasting in the first half of their one-all draw with Chelsea. It's going to receive a yellow card and she's already been booked in the game and it's a red card and the Manchester City captain has been sent off a second yellow card for time-wasting. Referee Emily Heaslip showed Greenwood a second yellow for taking 26 seconds to take a free kick with City already 1-0 up from Chloe Kelly's screamer. Towards Kelly again and she lets fly again! What a strike and what a goal! Heaslip later sent off Lauren Hemp for two bookings. By Hemp and it's another red card for Lauren Hemp this time. A second yellow card and Manchester City are down to nine players. And then in the 96th minute, Guro Wrighton equalised for Chelsea. And the header clawed away brilliantly by Keating, but it's still loose inside the penalty area. Wrighton with the shot, and Chelsea finally have the equaliser. Guro Wrighton in the 96th minute. There were wins for West Ham, Tottenham, Leicester and Liverpool, and you can hear a full review in a new episode of Full Time Europe out today with Sophie Penny, Charlotte Harper and Chloe Morgan. Right, that's all for today. Thank you for listening. I've been Tim Spears. Your producer was Mike Zimmerman and executive producer was Ian McIntosh. If you're new to the show, we'd love you to subscribe and come back for more. And feel free to leave us a review if you can. I'll be here again tomorrow. See you in the morning. The Athletic.